Section 7, Chapter 17 to 19 of Sintram and His Companions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Sintram and His Companions by Friedrich Lamotte Fouquet. Translated by F. E. Burnett. Chapter 17. See, my noble lord said Sintram the next morning, when Folko had expressed his wish of going out with him. These skates of ours give such wings to our course that we go down the mountainside swiftly as the wind, and even in going up again we are too quick for anyone to be able to pursue us, and on the plains no horse can keep up with us, and yet they can only be worn with safety by those who are well practised. It seems as though some strange spirit dwelt in them, which is fearfully dangerous to any that have not learned the management of them in their childhood." Folko answered somewhat proudly, "'Do you suppose that this is the first time that I have been amongst your mountains? Years ago I have joined in this sport, and, thank heaven, there is no knightly exercise which does not speedily become familiar to me.' Sintram did not venture to make any further objections, and still less did old Bjorn. They both felt relieved when they saw with what skill and ease Folko buckled the skates on his feet, without suffering anyone to assist him. This day they hunted up the mountain in pursuit of a fierce bear which had often before escaped from them. Before long it was necessary that they should separate, and Sintram offered himself as companion to Folko, who, touched by the humble manner of the youth and his devotion to him, forgot all that had latterly seemed mysterious in the pale altered being before him, and agreed heartily. As now they continued to climb higher and higher up the mountain, and saw from many a giddy height the rocks and crags below them, looking like a vast expanse of sea, suddenly turned into ice whilst tossed by a violent tempest, the noble Montfaucon drew his breath more freely. He poured forth war-songs and love-songs in the clear mountain air, and the startled echoes repeated from rock to rock the lays of his Frankish home. He sprang lightly from one precipice to another, using strongly and safely his staff for support, and turning now to the right, now to the left, as the fancy seized him, so that Sintram was fain to exchange his former anxiety for a wondering admiration, and the hunters, whose eyes had never been taken off the baron, burst forth with loud applause, proclaiming far and wide fresh glory of their guest. The good fortune which usually accompanied Folko's deeds of arms seemed still unwilling to leave him. After a short search, he and Sintram found distinct traces of the savage animal, and with beating hearts they followed the track so swiftly that even a winged enemy would have been unable to escape from them. But the creature whom they sought did not attempt a flight. He lay sulkily in a cavern near the top of a steep, precipitous rock, infuriated by the shouts of the hunters, and only waiting in his lazy fury for some one to be bold enough to climb up to his retreat, that he might tear him to pieces. Folko and Sintram had now reached the foot of this rock, the rest of the hunters being dispersed over the far-extending plain. The track led the two companions up the rock, and they set about climbing on the opposite sides of it, that they might be the more sure of not missing their prey. Folko reached the lonely topmost point first, and cast his eyes around. A wide, boundless tract of country, covered with untrodden snow, was spread before him, melting in the distance into the lowering clouds of the gloomy evening sky. He almost thought that he must have missed the traces of the fearful beast. When close beside him from a cleft in the rock issued a long growl, and a huge black bear appeared on the snow, standing on his hind legs, and with glaring eyes it advanced towards the baron. 
Sintram, the while, was struggling in vain to make his way up the rock against the masses of snow, continually slipping down. Joyful at a combat so long untried as almost to be new, Folco of Montfaucon levelled his hunting-spear and awaited the attack of the wild beast. He suffered it to approach so near that its fearful claws were almost upon him. Then he made a thrust, and the spearhead was buried deep in the bear's breast. But the furious beast still pressed on with a fierce growl, kept up on its hind legs by the cross-iron of the spear, and the knight was forced to plant his feet deep in the earth to resist the savage assault, and ever close before him the grim and bloody face of the bear, and close in his ear its deep, savage growl, wrung forth partly by the agony of death, partly by thirst for blood. At length the bear's resistance grew weaker, and the dark blood streamed freely upon the snow. He tottered, and one powerful thrust hurled him backwards over the edge of the precipice. At the same instant Sintram stood by the baron of Montfaucon. Folko said, drawing a deep breath, "'But I have not yet the prize in my hands, and have it I must, since fortune has given me a claim to it. Look, one of my skates seems to be out of order. Thinks thou, Sintram, that it holds enough to slide down to the foot of the precipice?' "'Let me go instead,' said Sintram. "'I will bring you the head and the claws of the bear.' "'A true knight,' replied Folko with some displeasure. "'Never does a knightly deed by halves. "'What I ask is whether my skate will still hold.' As Sintram bent down to look, and was on the point of saying, "'No,' he suddenly heard a voice close to him, saying, "'Why, yes, to be sure, there is no doubt about it.' Folko thought that Sintram had spoken, and slid down with the swiftness of an arrow, whilst his companion looked up in great surprise. The hated form of the little master met his eyes. As he was going to address him with angry words, he heard the sound of the baron's fearful fall, and he stood still in silent horror. There was a breathless silence also in the abyss below. "'Now, why dost thou delay?' said the little master, after a pause. "'He's dashed to pieces. Go back to the castle, and take the fair Helen to thyself.' Sintram shuddered. Then his hateful companion began to praise Gabriella's charms in so glowing, deceiving words that the heart of the youth swelled with emotions he had never before known. He only thought of him who was now lying at the foot of the rock as of an obstacle removed between him and heaven. He turned towards the castle. But a cry was heard below. "'Help! Help! My comrade! I am yet alive, but I am sorely wounded!' Sintram's will was changed, and he called to the baron, "'I am coming!' But the little master said, "'Nothing can be done to help Duke Menelaus, and the fair Helen knows it already. She is only waiting for knight Paris to comfort her.' And with detestable craft he wove in that tale with what was actually happening, bringing in the most highly wrought praises of the lovely Gabrielle, and, alas, the dazzled youth yielded to him and fled. Again he heard far off, the baron's voice calling to him, "'Knight Sintram! Knight Sintram! Thou on whom I bestowed the holy order! Haste to me and help me! The she-bear and her whelps will be upon me, and I cannot use my right arm! Knight Sintram! Knight Sintram! Haste to help me!' His cries were overpowered by the furious speed with which the two were carried along on their skates, and by the evil words of the little master, who was mocking at the late proud bearing of Duke Menelaus towards the poor Sintram. At last he shouted, "'Good luck to you, she-bear! Good luck to your whelps! There is a glorious meal for you! Now you will feed upon the fear of heathendom, him at whose name the Moorish brides weep, the mighty baron of Montfaucon, 
Never again, no dainty knight, will you shout at the head of your troops, Monjoie Saint-Denis! But scarce had this holy name passed the lips of the little master than he set up a howl of anguish, writhing himself with horrible contortions and wringing his hands, and ended by disappearing in a storm of snow which then arose. Sintram planted his staff firmly in the ground and stopped. How strangely did the wide expanse of snow, the distant mountains rising above it, and the dark green fir-woods, how strangely did they all look at him in cold, reproachful silence! He felt as if he must sink under the weight of his sorrow and his guilt. The bell of a distant hermitage came floating sadly over the plain. With a burst of tears he exclaimed, as the darkness grew thicker round him, "'My mother! My mother! I had once a beloved, tender mother, and she said I was a good child!' A ray of comfort came to him as if brought on an angel's wing. Perhaps Montfaucon was not yet dead, and he flew like lightning along the path, back to the steep rock. When he got to the fearful place, he stooped and looked anxiously down the precipice. The moon, just risen in full majesty, helped him. The knight of Montfaucon, pale and bleeding, was half kneeling against the rock. His right arm, crushed in his fall, hung powerless at his side. It was plain that he could not draw his good sword out of the scabbard. But nevertheless he was keeping the bear and her young ones at bay by his bold, threatening looks, so that they only crept round him, growling angrily, every moment ready for a fierce attack but as often driven back affrighted at the majestic air by which he conquered, even when defenceless. "'Oh, what a hero would there have perished!' groaned Sintram. "'And through whose guilt?' In an instant his spear flew with so true an aim that the bear fell weltering in her blood. The young ones ran away, howling. The baron looked up with surprise. His countenance beamed as the light of the moon fell upon it, grave and stern yet mild, like some angelic vision. "'Come down!' he beckoned, and Sintram slid down the side of the precipice, full of anxious haste. He was going to attend to the wounded man, but Folko said, "'First cut off the head and claws of the bear which I slew. I promised to bring the spoil of the chase to my lovely Gabrielle. Then come to me, and bind up my wounds. My right arm is broken.' Sintram obeyed the baron's commands. When the tokens of victory had been secured and the broken arm bound up, Folko desired the youth to help him back to the castle. "'Oh, heavens!' said Sintram in a low voice. "'If I dared to look in your face, or only knew how to come near you!' "'Thou wert indeed going on in an evil cause,' said Montfaucon gravely. "'But how could we, any of us, stand before God, did not repentance help us? At any rate, thou hast now saved my life.' and let that thought cheer thy heart. The youth, with tenderness and strength, supported the baron's left arm, and they both went their way silently in the moonlight. Chapter 18 Sounds of wailing were heard from the castle as they approached. The chapel was solemnly lighted up. Within it knelt Gabrielle, lamenting for the death of the knight of Montfaucon. But how quickly was all changed, when the noble baron, pale indeed and bleeding yet having escaped all mortal danger stood smiling at the entrance of the holy building and said in a low gentle voice look up gabrielle and be not affrighted for by the honour of my race thy knight still lives oh with what joy did gabrielle's eyes sparkle as she turned to her knight and then raised them again to heaven still streaming but from the deep source of thankful joy with the help of two pages, Folko knelt down beside her, and they both sanctified their happiness with a silent prayer. 
When they left the chapel, the wounded knight being tenderly supported by his lady, Sintram was standing without in the darkness, himself as gloomy as the night, and, like a bird of the night, shunning the sight of men. Yet he came trembling forward into the torchlight, laid the bear's head and claws at the feet of Gabrielle, and said, The noble Fauco of Montfaucon presents the spoils of today's chase to his lady. The Norwegians burst forth with shouts of joyful surprise at the stranger knight, who in the very first hunting expedition had slain the most fearful and dangerous beast of their mountains. Then Folco looked round with a smile as he said, "'And now none of you must jeer at me if I stay at home for a short time with my timid wife.' Those who the day before had talked together in the armourer's forge came out from the crowd, and bowing low, they replied, "'Noble Baron, who could have thought that there was no knightly exercise in the whole world in which you would not show yourself far above all other men?' "'The pupil of old Sir Hugh may be somewhat trusted,' answered Fulco kindly. "'But now, you bold northern warriors, bestow some praises also on my deliverer, who saved me from the claws of the she-bear when I was leaning against the rock, wounded by my fall.' He pointed to Sintram, and the general's shout was again raised, and old Rolf, with tears of joy in his eyes, bent his head over his foster-son's hand, but Sintram drew back, shuddering. Did you but know, said he, whom you see before you, all your spares will be aimed at my heart, and perhaps that will be the best thing for me. But I spare the honour of my father and of his race, and for this time I will not confess. Only this much must you know, noble warriors. Young man, interrupted Folko with a reproving look, already again so wild and fierce, I desire that thou wilt hold thy peace about thy dreaming fancies. Sintram was silenced for a moment, but hardly had Folko begun smilingly to move towards the steps of the castle, than he cried out, "'Oh, no, no, noble wounded knight, stay yet a while. I will serve thee in everything that thy heart can desire, but herein I cannot serve thee. Brave warriors, you must and shall know so much as this. I am no longer worthy to live under the same roof with the noble baron of Montfaucon and his angelic wife, Gabrielle. And you, my aged father, good night.' long not for me i intend to live in the stone fortress on the rocks of the moon till a change of some kind come over me there was that in his way of speaking against which no one dared to set himself not even fulco the wild bjorn bowed his head humbly and said do according to thy pleasure my poor son for i fear that thou art right then sintram walked solemnly and silently through the castle gate followed by the good rolf Gabrielle led her exhausted lord up to their apartments. Chapter 19 That was a mournful journey on which the youth and his aged foster-father went towards the rocks of the moon, through the wild tangled paths of the snow-clad valleys. Rolf from time to time sang some verses of hymns in which comfort and peace were promised to the penitent sinner, and Sintram thanked him for them with looks of grateful sadness. Neither of them spoke a word else. At length, when the dawn of day was approaching, Sintram broke silence by saying, "'Who are those two sitting yonder by the frozen stream, a tall man and a little one? Their own wild hearts must have driven them also forth into the wilderness. Rolf, dost thou know them? The sight of them makes me shudder.' "'Sir,' answered the old man, "'your disturbed mind deceives you. There stands a lofty fir-tree and the old weather-beaten stump of an oak, half covered with snow.' 
which gives them a somewhat strange appearance. There are no men sitting yonder. But Rolf, look there. Look again, carefully. Now they move. They whisper together. Sir, the morning breeze moves the branches, and whistles in the sharp pine leaves and in the yellow oak leaves, and rustles the crisp snow. Rolf, now they're both coming towards us. Now they're standing before us, quite close. Sir, it is we who get nearer to them as we walk on, and the setting moon throws such long, giant-like shadows over the plain. Good evening, said a hollow voice, and Sintram knew it was the crazy pilgrim, near to whom stood the malignant little master, looking more hideous than ever. You're right, sir knight, whispered Rolf, as he drew back behind Sintram, and made the sign of the cross on his breast and his forehead. The bewildered youth, however, advanced towards the two figures, and said, "'You have always taken wonderful pleasure in being my companions. What do you expect will come of it? And do you choose to go now with me to the stone fortress? There I will tend thee, poor pale pilgrim, and as to thee, frightful master, most evil dwarf, I'll make thee shorter by the head, to reward thee for thy deeds yesterday.' "'That would be a fine thing,' sneered the little master and perhaps thou imagined that thou wouldst be doing a great service to the whole world. And indeed, who knows, something might be gained by it. Only, poor wretch, thou canst not do it. The pilgrim, meantime, was waving his pale head to and fro, thoughtfully, saying, I believe truly that thou wouldst willingly have me, and I would go to thee willingly, but I may not yet. Have patience a while. Thou wilt yet surely see me come, but at a distant time, and first we must again visit thy father together, and then also thou wilt learn to call me by my right name, my poor friend. "'Beware of disappointing me again,' said the little master to the pilgrim in a threatening voice, but he, pointing with his long, shriveled hand towards the sun, which was just now rising, said, "'Stop either that sun or me, if thou canst.' Then the first rays fell on the snow, and the little master ran, muttering, down a precipice, but the pilgrim walked on in the bright beams, calmly and with great solemnity, towards a neighbouring castle on the mountain. It was not long before its chapel bell was heard tolling for the dead. "'For heaven's sake!' whispered the good Rolf to his knight. "'For heaven's sake, Sir Sintram, what kind of companions have you here? One of them cannot bear the light of God's blessed son, and the other has no sooner set foot in a dwelling than tidings of death wail after his track. Could he have been a murderer?' "'I do not think that,' said Sintram. "'He seemed to me the best of the two. "'But it is a strange willfulness of his not to come with me. "'Did I not invite him kindly? "'I believe that he can sing well, "'and he should have sung to me some gentle lullaby. "'Since my mother has lived in a cloister, "'no one sings lullabies to me any more.' "'At this tender recollection his eyes were bedewed with tears, "'but he did not himself know what he had said besides, "'for there was wildness and confusion in his spirit.' They arrived at the rocks of the moon, and mounted up to the stone fortress. The castellan, an old, gloomy man, the more devoted to the young knight from his dark, melancholy, and wild deeds, hastened to lower the drawbridge. Greetings were exchanged in silence, and in silence did Sintram enter, and those joyless gates closed with a crash behind the future recluse. End of Section 7